Cardinal Pell deserves to be commended and eulogised in death simply for sticking to his job description. Is it that much to ask that the bishops of the church merely do their job? As an employer, I expect my staff to read their job description once in a while, and I expect the priests of our church to keep the promises that they made on the day of their ordination. The fact that he stands out head and shoulders above the Sacred College is simply because he was doing his job. Hello, Lifesize friends. This show is a tribute to George Cardinal Pell, a great prince of the church who just passed away suddenly last week after his hip surgery. Even though he came out fine while speaking with the anesthetist, he had a cardiac arrest and died. Now, I have a very special guest for you who knew Cardinal Pell for all of his life. He grew up in the same small town. He was a student of then Archbishop Pell in seminary, and he served his masses, and he was a friend. We're going to get an up-close look at this Prince of the Church in just a moment. But I wanted to give you my own reflections on Cardinal Pell as well. In 2006, LifeSite was blessed to interview him at length. And then in 2015, he came to speak at our Rome Life Forum. And I was just in touch with him by email on January the 4th about interviewing him while I was there in Rome. And the dates he couldn't make because he said he had to attend a charismatic retreat. It's an email that I am going to cherish. So, Cardinal Pell was a man persecuted for the faith by the modernist horde. Most famously, he was falsely convicted of sexual abuse of minors, only to be jailed for more than a year. Most of that, by the way, in solitary confinement. And then he was unanimously exonerated. But what did this heroic man of God say after his release? First of all, the thing he looked forward to most of all was saying a private mass because he hadn't been able to, which is just awesome. But in addition to that, he accepted his time in prison as a gift and a grace, he said. He said this, and I quote, God writes straight with crooked lines, and given that I was sentenced to jail, I do regard it as a gift and a grace. So he was a great defender of the faith. Just prior to his death, which took place on January the 10th, he gave an interview to the spectator in which the cardinal accused or criticized Pope Francis's synod on synodality, calling it a toxic nightmare. The article was actually published the day after his death, and it's, he said this, The Catholic Synod of Bishops is now busy constructing what they think of as God's dream of synodality. Unfortunately, the cardinal continued, this divine dream has developed into a toxic nightmare despite the good bishop's professed good intentions. He called the synod document for the upcoming synod on synodality, and I quote, the most incoherent document ever sent out from Rome, end quote. That was, of course, because of its inclusion of the LGBT groups and proposing a female diaconate. He said, and I quote again, what is one to make of this potpourri, this outpouring of new age goodwill? It is not a summary of Catholic faith or a New Testament teaching. It is incomplete, hostile in significant ways to the apostolic tradition, and nowhere acknowledges the New Testament as the Word of God, normative for all teaching on faith and morals. Just also this week, the veteran Vatican journalist Sandro Magister has reported that the late cardinal was actually the author of a kind of secret 2022 memo sent to cardinals, which was known as the Demos Memo. 
and it severely criticized Pope Francis and highlighted the key issues that the next pope would need to address. Writing to his fellow cardinals, or at least this is what we hear was him writing to his fellow cardinals. So LifeSite actually asked Sandra Magister about it, and here's what Sandra had to say to us. He said that Sandra had personally received the memo, signed Demos, original in English, he said, from Cardinal Pell, with permission to publish it, provided the name of the real author is kept confidential. Now, the original memo, said Sandro to us, was written all and only by him from the first to the last line. So the Demos memo opened with a summary of criticisms, and I'll quote it for you. It says, Commentators of every school, if for different reasons, with the possible exception of Father Spadaro, S.J., agree that this pontificate is a disaster in many or most respects, a catastrophe. The author, that is probably Cardinal Bell, he argued that while Rome as the seat of the popes had previously been a voice of clarity, today is a promoter of confusion. The papacy is silent, he said, in the face of heresies, and at the same time there is, I quote, an active persecution of the traditionalists and the contemplative convents. Demos, the author, who presumably is Pell, wrote that the next pope must understand that the secret of Christian and Catholic vitality comes from fidelity to the teachings of Christ and Catholic practices. It does not come from adapting to the world or from money. As such, said Demos, the cardinals had to elect a new pope swiftly to restore normality, restore doctrinal clarity in faith and morals, restore a proper respect for the law, and ensure that the first criterion for the nomination of bishops is acceptance of the apostolic tradition, end quote. I remember in the first Synod on the Family in 2014, where communion for the divorce and remarried was brought up first, he said it would be disastrous for the church, but he always trusted that Pope Francis would do the right thing. He was very naive in that regard. But, you know, one of the things he did do at the time was something very controversial. He actually gave an intro to one of those books of the cardinals. This one was called The Gospel of the Family that was opposed to the going down the road that eventually Pope Francis did go down to allow for divorce, remarried communion with Amoris Laetitia and especially the explanation thereafter. But in his intro to the book, he said, and this is Cardinal Pell said, were the decisions that followed the Henry VIII's divorce totally unnecessary? And of course, that refers to the famous divorce and, and uh, killing of his wives, but divorce and remarriage of Henry VIII. And he's making that comparison. But my favorite recollection from Cardinal Pell goes way back. Way back, not as far as LifeSite's very beginning, but still within our first decade or so. It was a interview from Cardinal Pell in 2004 that was just so beautiful. We reported on it at LifeSite News. Cardinal Pell, who was even then widely believed to me among the bishops most faithful at the time to John Paul II and his teachings on morality, he made a public confession of repentance for having failed to preach sufficiently on morality, particularly sexual morality. And it was so beautiful. It was in Australia's uh, magazine called The Bulletin. And uh, he was talking about a collection of his sermons over the past 40 years. And he said, in going through them, one of the things that struck me, and I think it's a failing 
is how little I've preached on morality, let alone sexual morality, in my Sunday sermons. Colonel Pell also revealed that the false accusation of sexual abuse, which he endured over and over, now this was already 2004, which he was completely vindicated on, it was to him an encouragement to be less wishy-washy. He told the interviewer at the time that going through that ordeal of being accused of sexual abuse, it changed him. And he said, I quote, I hope I wasn't too wishy-washy in the past. But you know, when clear issues are at stake, I think I would be less hesitant than I ever was to back off. I think I'm just saying that more than ever, if I felt something important was at stake, neither hell nor high water should shift me. He held great hope for the future of the church. He talked about young priests in his diocese, and he said, and I quote, They'll be much tougher in their approach than I am. They'll make me look a bit wishy-washy. Small L liberal. Stay tuned for this episode of The John Henry Weston Show. John McCauley, welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to be invited onto the show, John Henry. Let's begin, as we always do, with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. First of all, John, let me say my condolences to you on the on the passing of this man that you've known your entire life. Um, why don't we just start there? Why don't you give us how you knew George Cardinal Pell and um, your, you know, how he affected you? John Henry, Australia is now uh, mourning uh, the life and death of one of its most remarkable figures regardless of uh, how you look upon him from uh, the, my perspective as someone who knew him my entire life. Cardinal Pell was my local bishop when I was a, a schoolboy growing up at a nearby Catholic school to where he was auxiliary. When he went on to be the Archbishop of Melbourne, I joined his seminary and, and studied under him. He'd come into the seminary and teach patristics. Uh, my family are from the same neck of the woods, Ballarat, where he grew up, uh, went to the same high school as, as my own grandfather. When he was transferred to Sydney, I myself moved up to Sydney where I run uh, my own uh, business. And so I've known his eminence throughout my entire life. I've had a, a, a real regard for his work ethic. And I also uh, had the opportunity to attend various sessions of his trial where he was uh, put on trial for trumped up charges. And then eventually I attended the high court here in the Australian capital of Canberra, where he was eventually acquitted unanimously by uh, these trumped up charges. So his eminence is someone who I've gotten to know as both a mentor as a and a friend, and uh, I'm mourning deeply um, these days here in Sydney at his uh, sad passing. It's one of the things that should be cleared up, first of all. Even though he was acquitted, and because it happened so far away, there is still a lag and perhaps a reticence on the part of the mainstream media in the West to say, oh, it's all good now. It's more like, yeah, he got away with it. Give us more of the nuts and bolts on the controversy and the resolution. But also the latest developments on the case of the false charges uh, made against him. With his death not 48 hours ago, Australian law doesn't in any way constrain defamation about dead people. Now, we as civilised Christians would never speak ill of the dead and especially the recently dead. But 
the past 48 hours here in Australia has been marked with the great haters coming out and saying the most despicable things about his eminence. Anyone who would even have a passing acquaintance um, with him, his personality, um, his fidelity to the church, uh, and his regard for the rule of law throughout his entire life would know that those allegations are, are such a remove from the man whom I knew and loved. And so there's a new development, which is an enormous amount of opprobrium, all of which is born of a, a mendacious media and a hostile institutions of state here in Australia, where politicians and the media uh, fermented an air of suspicion. Uh, institutions of state, like the police force, um, took out quarter page ads in the daily broadsheet, spruiking um, for anyone to make complaints against his eminence. That's unheard of in the history of Australia, that the police would start an investigation when there had never been any complaint against the then Archbishop of Melbourne. So we're in new and sad territory here in Australia, but it's important that good journalists do their work. It's important that LifeSite News probes this matter, because I think in the long view of history, um, it'll in fact be the Australian institutions, uh, the police and the judiciary, um, about whom more, more will be known as the years uh, pass. But his, his, his eminence's uh, legacy is considerable and uncontestable. I was graced to meet him a number of times. We actually had a two-hour meeting, just the two of us, um, in his apartment in Rome when, um, well, in his office in Rome anyway, uh, just before he went to Australia. And he was so sure that he could finally face these charges and make them with them. He so trusted the system. And I remember telling him, I, I don't think it's going to go that way. But he was so sure. He was such a trusting man. If you could speak to that, that would be great. As a, as a cardinal, as a member of the Sacred College, his eminence carried a, a diplomatic passport. That meant that his return to Australia was entirely voluntarily. Um, when uh, the court case began, uh, he was never required to pay bail um, to remain at uh, liberty. The, the court was more than happy to have him uh, living privately here as the court case went on, even as the first findings of the court were made known. It was only at sentencing uh, and upon his conviction that he then endured 404 nights of incarceration. But he did cooperate with the process uh, fully. And of course, his, his, his confidence in the process was born of his confidence that truth prevailed. It just took a lot longer and it was a, a very expensive process and it involved 404 nights, most of which were spent in solitary uh, confinement. But this is something that he's dealt with extensively in his three-volume uh, prison diaries that are very well worth um, the read. And I think uh, to use an expression that his eminence uh, often quoted, it was an opportunity to make his soul. I think he emerged from uh, prison um, as someone who had taken the opportunity to catch up on a lot of prayer time, given how much of his career as a, as a bishop was spent in uh, the administration and governance of dioceses, and of course, his assistance to the Universal Church from Rome. But he made good use of the time, even in, the, even in prison. Who would have thought that that good use of that time would be actually his preparation for death? Well, ultimately, his death is very uh, untimely. Um, I got a call from Rome in the wee hours of uh, Wednesday morning asking me to confirm 
um, the rumours that were going uh, around, and, and I was quite shocked. But within a couple of hours, the uh, the independent confirmation had come through, and so Catholics here in uh, Sydney and those who knew him worldwide are still very much in mourning. But uh, I'm sure the tributes will flow thick and fast, as he's a man who had an enormous impact on the lives of uh, many, and his legacy will be enduring. And I think he will continue to have an impact in death as he had in life. Indeed so, indeed so. If you can give us perhaps a few of your recollections to whet our appetites, to read his prison diaries, because I think they're very well worth reading, but also give us something of them that, that you think really characterizes the man. Candor would be the first uh, um, quality in the in the prison diaries. Um, he, he talks in very vivid terms and he draws in all of the people uh, that he knew and, and corresponded with him and the small details of prison life and then the opportunities that prison life gave him to reflect back uh, upon uh, his entire life. One of the more oblique passages he makes, and I don't think too many people would pick up on it because he dispatches the topic within a sentence or two. He makes oblique reference to receiving a plain envelope um, handed to him uh, by a visiting priest from Rome. He doesn't mention it explicitly, but that was a letter from uh, His Holiness the Pope. It was a letter that did not bear the letterhead of uh, the Holy See, but it was good to see that some consolation was given and some recognition was given to him during his time in prison. But again, he he didn't make that explicit in the book. I was very grateful the references he made to um, some of the initiatives that I uh, took while he was in prison, including singing Christmas carols. I, I coordinated a group of Catholics to um, stand outside the, the street in front of the penitentiary um, and for an hour or two with full-throated voice, um, our, uh, our Christmas carols somehow made it up into his very small uh, cell. Again, it was just an opportunity for the Cardinal to write something of a spiritual uh, reflection. Um, there's a reason why Cardinals uh, wear red, and George Pell was someone who always fulfilled his job description, and the role of a Cardinal is to suffer and, if necessary, to bleed and die for the Church. There's very few members of the College of Cardinals um, seem to suffer uh, willingly, but his eminence took it all on with great cheer. Right after his death comes a very revealing interview. Um, if you could characterize some of that for us, but also give us your take on his saying these rather um, startling things um, in the midst of what's going on in Rome right now. The many important contributions to church life he made, his eminence, even though he was 81 years of age, was in fact making in recent weeks and months his most important contribution to the church, which was to network amongst the College of Cardinals. There's no doubt going to be a, a uh, not just a consistory, but a, a conclave in the course of uh, the years uh, to come. And very few of the Cardinals even know each other. They've been selected in recent years from very obscure uh, diocese. Uh, Pope Francis has called very, very few consistories where the cardinals can come together. So Cardinal Powell um, was using his time living in retirement in Rome to, to network. And I think his, his biggest contribution um, has in fact been cut short by his sudden uh, death. 
because we desperately need um, a functional college of cardinals um, to assist uh, the current pope, to assist the upcoming conclave, and to ensure that uh, the next pope um, puts the the bark of Peter on a far better footing than what Cardinal Pell described in the British Spectator magazine, which was only published the article yesterday, where he talks about the synod on synods being a process um, that's entirely foreign um, to the church, that uh, an air of neo-Marxism is now falling uh, upon the functionings of, of the Vatican. Um, so he doesn't pull any punches. He never did through his life. And it's great that uh, his clearest contribution um, is one that al alerts Catholics to the fact that this synod has already been hijacked uh, before it's even properly begun. Unlike Pope Benedict, who did pull a lot of punches, we, we actually learn more after the fact uh, from Pope Benedict's passing. This is stunning. I, I'm sure you saw it, but I'm just going to play a little clip right now of Cardinal Pell's interview on EW10 with, uh, regarding the death of Pope Benedict. Let's have a quick look. My greatest memory, he, he insisted that the great liturgical celebrations, the masses, that we should work hard that they are prayers and acts of adoration. And so he insisted on reverence and quiet. And we had something like 400,000 at the final mass, the biggest gathering in Australian history. And after communion, um, I could hear the birds singing. A wonderful moment of uh, recollection and, uh, and adoration and prayer. In your experience, what was he like one-on-one -on -one as, a, as a person? Oh, the complete opposite of uh, the caricatures of his enemies. If I can get your take on uh, the Cardinal's words there, with regard to uh, the late Pope Emeritus Benedict. Obviously, he held Pope Benedict in very high regard. He, Cardinal Pell described the, the most surprising thing to happen to him in his entire life was back in 1990 when he was a junior auxiliary bishop in Melbourne and was called uh, to serve on the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, the old Holy Office. Cardinal Pell wasn't himself a theologian. Um, his, his area was in church uh, history. And so it was a most unusual thing for him to have been called to serve uh, as a consultant to the, to the CDF. It was there that obviously he developed a rapport with the then uh, prefect, Cardinal Ratzinger. Pell really made his biggest contributions as an auxiliary bishop um, upon the publication of two papal encyclicals, uh, Veritatis Splendor, and another one in English called The Gospel of, of Life. Uh, it was then that he really was brought to the attention of John Paul II, and I think it was for that reason um, that he was nominated to be Archbishop of Melbourne uh, when uh, his predecessor was forced to retire early. Um, and so I think that's really what launched um, his eminence into the theological sphere, um, and therefore he had a great working relationship with, uh, with Pope Benedict uh, of happy memory. One of the things that was interesting about Cardinal Pell was that he was one of the few cardinals uh, in this new advisory capacity to Pope Francis when Pope Francis came on the scene. Um, how did that happen and where did it play out? 
Just a quick note before we return. If you would like to stay up to date on LifeSite's coverage of the latest life, family, and culture news, subscribe to one of our many newsletters by going to lifesitenews.com slash subscribe. And if you'd like to help us bring our truth-telling coverage to millions around the world, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation at give.lifesitenews.com. And now, back to the video. His Eminence was a well-known administrator. There's always been a role for Australians in Rome um, where concerns about corruption existed. In fact, uh, the Australian Marist uh, fathers were always put in charge of, of, of distributing tickets for big papal events because they were thought to be the only uh, nationals who, who could be trusted not to engage in any nepotism. So uh, Australians had been known for a lack of corruption, and so it was very fitting then that an Australian would be put in charge of this role of investigating Vatican finances. It just turned into a far heavier burden than his eminence uh, expected. He found a far more maladministration and indeed corruption than anyone uh, expected. And his work in, uh, in rooting that out um, was sadly uh, short-lived and uh, he was certainly hemmed in at every turn. Um, by uh, many of the uh, Italian uh, authorities within the, the church. Obviously, his nemesis in recent years is Cardinal Becciu, um, who has said some most ungracious things about um, uh, Cardinal Powell just in the past 24 hours. As I said earlier, it's not appropriate for Christians to speak ill of the dead, but uh, for another cardinal, a brother cardinal, to be doing that in the past 24 hours, um, I think reflects more on Cardinal Bacuda than, than it does um, on, on, on Cardinal Pell. Now, this is very interesting because Cardinal Pell discovered and made public some of the most disturbing aspects, at least in modern history, that we've ever heard of. Findings of a billion dollars unaccounted for and, and things like that. Those are massive things that are going to upset the apple cart, as many would say here. And given the history of the Vatican finances, the corruption, the Vatican Bank, the ending up of people dead uh, because of their involvements with that, th that sounds kind of crazy, but yet we have that in history. Um, you have right now the, the case of Libero Maloney, Who's been who was charged and so on, and now he's going to do a countersuit. So Cardinal Pell got dumped right in the middle of that, and then had the oddest thing go on with what happened in Australia, and then ends up dead. I mean, obviously people are going to start thinking things and saying things, but he was wrapped up in all of this, but seeming unaware. I mean, he, he just kept doing his work as he felt he should be doing his work with honesty and upfront and trust of the system. When it, probably many people told him, uh, I, I don't think it's going to go down that way. But uh, what's your what's your take on all that? In choosing a pope from far-flung Argentina, I, I think the previous conclave had hoped there would be something of a uh, an outsider's uh, influence that uh, Archbishop Bergoglio would become uh, a fresh uh, reformer and break through uh, a lot of the intransigence that had built up like detritus within the Vatican. Unfortunately, that hasn't happened at all. 
and plenty of evidence is now emerging um, that uh, the institutional corruption, specifically with reference to finance, is in no better a situation. So that the good governance um, mechanisms that Cardinal Pell tried to introduce have been stymied at every turn. Of course, alarmingly, multi-million dollar tranches of money were transferred from the Vatican accounts to an obscure company in Melbourne where Cardinal Pell was uh, prosecuted on, on trumped up uh, charges, and yet they cannot be accounted for. Now, I run a, a business. Every dollar can be accounted for, and that's a private company. How much more so should it be the case that multi-million dollar transfers um, to this day unexplained that coincided with the pressing uh, of charges against Cardinal Powell cannot be accounted for. That in itself is alarming if the Holy See wants to rebuild its coffers. I don't quite understand how any of this helps uh, a poor church being for the poor, as Pope Francis has described it, if at the end of the day um, people aren't going to be donating to Peter's pence um, I don't see how that can possibly serve the important work of the Vatican um, supporting the needy. We need transparency. We need to know where those multi-million dollar transfers uh, ended up, and we need to know it now. There's an urgency to these things um, that, uh, sadly, um, the Cardinal's uh, death um, only further goes to highlight. We need someone like George Powell in the Vatican now more than ever. This was the heart of rumors that were very well placed all over Rome at the time of Cardinal Pell's being taken down in Australia in the most unbelievable way, a way that really does disservice to this justice system all around the world, coming from, sadly, from Australia. But it was a travesty. And yet there's that bit of evidence that exists still unexplained of Vatican transfers, unexplained in the millions. And so there was this rumor. And and as I said, from some very high-ranking people who, who don't want to be named, but nonetheless, who's had a suspicion of foul play with regard to all of this. And it's not known yet, but as you said, it is for journalists and, and God willing with the help that they need to uncover that. Well, it was the, the very first Australian journalist who had the opportunity to interview the Cardinal days after his release from prison, who raised this topic of the transfers uh, to an obscure Australian company that we're yet to find um, be given an explanation for. So, and 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 his eminence ran with that topic, um, and so clearly there's something to it that needs examining. At the same time, his eminence had obviously just spent um, years of his life enduring accusations that didn't have evidence. And so he very magnanimously said, although he has concerns and suspicions and answers uh, need to be given, um, he's not going to come to any firm conclusions without that evidence. So it's now our job um, to demand more than ever that uh, those questions be answered. Um, was there any um, interference from Rome in uh, the process uh, that uh, led to this bizarre turn of events? And it's also very concerning to remember how few people ever came out and said a word 
in the card in, in in defense of the cardinal at the time that charges um were first brought and in fact during the entirety of his uh trial conviction uh and incarceration very very few people here in australia or globally came out to say a word in his defense there was a real climate of fear now you would think and understand that that could be the case in melbourne where the institutions of state um were being encouraged uh, in this diabolical um persecution but the fact that that climate of fear was worldwide the fact that that climate of fear meant that uh the pope had to uh sneak a letter in to the prison um without the papal letterhead um it's all just a little bit uh, too concerning to to let go so i do hope that in the course of the the months and years ahead uh, investigative journalists and people with contacts in in rome and here in australia will explore this matter more deeply because the truth needs to out and it needs to out um sooner rather than uh, than later this kind of thing is not out of the question unfortunately but then that brings another question of course because we saw uh his commentary on pope benedict just the other day i was actually in touch with the cardinal to to try and arrange for an interview while i was there covering the funeral of pope benedict he got back to me by email um saying that he was going to a charismatic conference but then to to just unbelievably shockingly learned that he had passed away it was almost it was almost too much to take and we wondered at first when i first saw is it fake news or what is that but then also a natural kind of suspicion because yeah he was out of jail um that didn't work perhaps something more nefarious and i know that sounds conspiratorial and whatever else but the circumstances of the death also don't help he came through the hip replacement surgery and was fine and was talking to the anesthetist and then has a cardiac arrest so i don't know if if you thought anything of that but it just it struck so hard and with such um, confusion right after his uh, being let go from incarceration it was a sad story a hard story to hear i met briefly last night with the current archbishop of sydney at the conclusion of a requiem mass uh for pope benedict and archbishop fisher said that while he was in rome last week for pope benedict's uh funeral he met with cardinal pell three times and described him as having never been in better form he was uh, enjoying life he was in very good form um and so archbishop fisher didn't see this uh coming um but at the same time we need to bear in mind that uh one of the great criticisms that were made of the cardinal uh his return to australia was that he was somehow trying to use his heart condition as a reason for not attending the royal commission of inquiry some years back and they said oh, he doesn't really have a heart condition uh when in fact he ended up against doctor's orders voluntarily um coming back to australia to face trial knowing that he had a heart condition and so certainly i'm sure that was part of the uh picture as he emerged from uh, his second hip replacement operation uh two days ago to die in his doctor's arms shocking also and hard at a time when among the princes of the church among the cardinals there are so very few enunciating the truth of Jesus Christ anymore there's so very few 
and I mean very, very few, who dare to speak in what historians that I know have called the greatest crisis in the church in her entire history. Cardinal Pell deserves credit for doing nothing more than sticking to his job description. As a bishop, he would preach, he would sanctify, he would govern. That's the job description of an auxiliary bishop. But as a cardinal, his job was also to not just promote and transmit the deposit of faith, but to defend it. And that there would be a single cardinal who would not be in overdrive attempting to defend the deposit of faith from constant attacks within the heart of the church is alarming. It means that they're not aware of their basic job description. Cardinal Pell deserves to be commended and eulogized in death simply for sticking to his job description. Is it that much to ask that the bishops of the church merely do their job? As an employer, I expect my staff to read their job description once in a while, and I expect the priests of our church to keep the promises that they made on the day of their ordination. The fact that he stands out head and shoulders above the sacred college is simply because he was doing his job. That's a good way of describing him standing head and shoulders above uh, everyone else. Uh, I think a lot of people, well, let's let you explain to them. Uh, Cardinal Pell has an interesting history also for being a, a big man. Uh, what's his history there? George Pell was the son of a Protestant publican in the Australian rural backwater of Ballarat. And he went on to become a prince of the Catholic Church in Rome. From any perspective, we're witnessing uh, the death of a man who will be written into um, not just church history, not just Australian history, but he will be forever a most remarkable um, uh, figure of all human history. Obviously, his time in prison only adds to the to the to the interest. Um, but he also uh, his life covers an enormous transition in the life of the Catholic Church. When he entered Corpus Christi Seminary, where I actually studied myself under Cardinal Pell for five years, the same uh, seminary generations later, uh, the church was at its, its very height. Uh, religious life in Australia was booming. Um, seminaries were full. Um, even when I, as a child, would go to my local country church, um, we would be standing shoulder to shoulder with our co-religionists. The church in Australia has been in freefall since the Second Vatican Council. It continues um, to be in freefall. Um, so his life is certainly the end of an era. Um, he was a great builder. It's the end of an era of great Catholic institutions, um, some of which he built. But like all great empires, sometimes the greatest monuments are built um, at the very end of an era. And so with his death, I think uh, the institutional church as we knew it in Australia is also at an end. And I think it's important that Catholics realise that we really do need to rebuild from the ground up and any hankering um, for the church um, that we've experienced in the past 50 years um, will not help the formula um, for church life that's been applied in the past uh, 50 years is a failed formula. 
it's time now for Catholics to rebuild from the ground up. Um, so yes, this is an end of an era, which Cardinal Powell's life was certainly a curious and crowning contribution towards. But with his death, like the death of Pope Benedict, like the death of other great global figures, Elizabeth II, the continuity figures are now gone. The disruption is now complete. Um, and the work of rebuilding from uh, very basic Christian foundations must now begin. What are your final thoughts for us on uh, George Cardinal Pell? Also, what inspiration can you take for that very rebuilding of the church, really starting with the lady, but from Cardinal Pell? I'm the Secretary of Right to Life here in Australia. Cardinal Pell um, was an implacable supporter of Right to Life and the, the pro-life movement here in Australia. I think if the church um, is going to be true to itself, um, it has to look very closely at the pro-life movement as one of the uh, stronger aspects um, of its mission for evangelization. So I, I, I think his legacy in support of the pro-life movement is important, given that the Christian religion began in the womb of a vulnerable young woman. So I think um, the Cardinal's strong pro-life focus, I mentioned earlier in this interview, um, the documents he wrote in uh, the early 1990s in support of John Paul II's Evangelium Vitae, his, his encyclical on the gospel of life, will be perhaps his most important uh, contribution. So the pro-life movement, pro-life Catholics, will be a large part of that rebuilding simply because our concern goes back to the very inception of our religion in the incarnation of our Lord in the womb of a vulnerable young woman. So I, I think that will be his lasting uh, legacy. And I think that's also um, a prophetic um, sign as to where the uh, church will, will reform and refashion and I think the renewal of the church is to be found very much um, in the heart of the, the Catholic and Christian pro-life movement. John McCauley, thank you so much for being with us. For your work and for your vital apostolate and for your interest in our Australian Cardinal, who we love uh, much and, and now more, and I, I can't thank you enough. God bless you. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.